0: Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the Occupier's Champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle. From workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to CRESA.com Portland to connect with the Portland Advisory Team. From That Cast Creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. We're back with a new episode. Very excited to have my guest, Cindy Adams, who's the CEO of United Way. Cindy, welcome.
1: Hi. Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to know you a little bit and and hearing about United Way and what you have going on here. So I think the best way to start is love to learn a little bit about you, your professional background leading up to uh, being the CEO at United Way.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: I know that's a big, like broad <laughs> so, question. It
1: is. <laughs> so
0: you can skip over the parts you don't want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> whatever.
1: <laughs> All right. That's probably a good suggestion. I, I think um, you know, one of the things that I would like to point out is I'm one of these people who's made a transition from the private sector to the nonprofit sector. Um, and so I started my career, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago in the Bay Area. Um, And it was at a time when the tech sector was just booming there. And it was, you know, there was such a high demand for um, talent in the telecommunications industry, because this was like, you know, this is how long ago it was. The Bell operating companies, AT&T was was um, deregulated. Right. So it created a tremendous amount of, <clears throat> excuse me, business opportunity and market opportunity. And so I worked for a company called Rome Corporation at that time. And you know what, in hindsight, when I think about, as I've made this transition to the nonprofit sector, um, and I think about, you know, like, what are things in, in my career that helped to facilitate that? One of the things was the timing of my getting into the workforce after I graduated from college, And the fact that there was such a high demand for talent, so much of what was happening was disruptive technology. And so there just wasn't enough of an employee pool available Mm -hmm. um, that companies could tap into. And because there was that high demand for employee talent, it was so companies were developing talent within their current staff, right? Right. So I worked at Rome Corporation for 10 years. And over those 10 years, I was promoted every two years. Okay. I paid more. I got management responsibility right. And, and I learned about sales, business development, marketing, customer service, operations. A little bit of everything. That was really seminal in terms of my ability to have this uh, kind of broad perspective of how businesses work um, and to be able to, even though two years doesn't seem like a lot, back in those days, it's like 10 years worth of experience, right? And so um, I found that that was just invaluable to, to where I am today. And it was also a time where... Even though it wasn't, I think, formally called out as like mentoring, right? It, mentoring was necessarily a part of being able to develop employees, um, particularly when we think about leadership, management, um, and strategic thinking. Um, and I also um, had the pleasure during that period of time of working for IBM. Okay. And IBM had a very disciplined, management development program in terms of how they moved people up in the organization, but also how they trained managers to just be really good managers. Um, And so, uh, you know, I had a number of jobs in that industry and outside of the industry um, and and in the food service industry. When I moved to Hawaii, um, all of that kind of led me to the nonprofit work that I'm doing today. Um, and so, you know, kind of long story short, uh, 15 months ago, I moved from Honolulu, Hawaii to, uh, to Portland. Okay. From Aloha United Way there to uh, United Way, the Columbia Willamette here.
0: So, I mean, thanks for that overview. And I think it's a good jumping off point. What attracted you to moving to Portland for this for this role and we'll get into the mission of the united way and i'd uh, mm-hmm. love to talk about that but just first let's talk about just drawing you to portland
1: so um, there were a couple of things um, you know one of the things that uh, has been um, kind of driving motivation for me is the ability to facilitate change within an organization and um I felt like I did that at Aloha United Way and I was looking for my next challenge and I learned about uh the opportunity here in Portland and um uh, and it sounded like a challenge. <laughs> and I also have um family who live on in Hawaii, we say live on the mainland, right? Both on the West Coast as well as on the east coast. Um and it had been a while since I'd been back here uh meeting on the mainland again, and so I was looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. Well it's Talk about the United Way for people that, you know, of course, I think most people know about the United Way, but what's the mission of the United Way? Let's talk about the work and then we can bring it back to Portland.
1: Okay. So the work of United Way, as I think about it globally, because there are, I think there are about like maybe 1600 United Ways around the world, right? And 1100 of them are are here in the United States. Um, The work, I would say at a very high level, is really to encourage philanthropy in communities for the purpose of uh, supporting impactful work in those communities. Um, and so it's really about fundraising and also working with um, partners, both private and public sector, um, in communities in order to focus on things like um, early learning or education outcomes, um, financial outcomes for family, housing stability, things like that.
0: Okay. And is it, is it in Oregon? Is it set up kind of the United Way has different? regions or districts within the state mm-hmm. or is there one or how they yes
1: w- yes in fact um i can't remember what the exact number is but i believe we have more than 10 okay uh local united ways in the state of oregon in hawaii we had four uh-huh. uh, and so it really depends on the size of the state um and um and we are the largest united way given we have the metro area mm-hmm. and we cover four counties in oregon
0: so, so what's some of the initiatives you're kind of getting underway now and some of the impact Because, um, you know, this is most of folks that listen to this or, you know, like me, we're in the business world doing our thing, but I think it's really, you know, valuable to bring it back to how, how we can get engaged and just some of the, the projects.
1: You know, it's a really great question. Um, we have learned so much about ourselves and about our communities um, in the last 15 months. So driven by the impact of the pandemic and also wildfires. Yeah. And, um, so, so somewhat unique to, to Oregon, right. In terms of those three things. Um, and you know, as I, the work that we had been heavily invested in for a number of years up to this point, um, has been in, um, Early learning, so early education, um, and also uh, high school graduation rates, and then also um, what we call safety nets. So um, food security, short-term rental assistance, things like that. Um, You know, one of the things, and we have for many years um, done that work very focused on an equity lens, and more specifically, racial equity Mm -hmm. lens. Um, and so, you know, we learned a number of things um, during the past 15 months. And, and one thing for sure that has really stood out for us is, you know, even though um, we've been focused on uh, equity work for many years, we discovered that there are, are things that we were not aware of. Um, that were outside of kind of our aperture. And we've had to like open that outside of our lens. And And I'll give you an example. So when, um, oh, I'll give you a couple of examples. When the wildfires happened, one of the things that we learned about our communities is in communities of color, there was very limited information in their language mm. that available to pre to prepare them for the disaster, right? And so many of these households of color, colors, really struggled when the wildfires hit. Um, and because there's uh, less trust in government, right, during the recovery period or even during the response period, they didn't know who to reach out to mm-hmm. for. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they they necessarily gravitated to where they had those trusting relationships. And a lot of those were with nonprofits that were already helping them in other areas. Right. So that's one example. Um, And so work that we're focused on moving forward in the area of disaster recovery and resilience is to say, how do we better prepare communities of color? Because we know that this is going to happen over again. Right. Um, whether, whether you believe it's associated with, um, climate change or for other reasons. Um, and so that's work that we are going to start doing moving forward and have already become very much engaged with, both in terms of working with, um, uh, the state and the county government, as well as with nonprofits and the business sector. Um, the other example I would share is, you know, how do we, how do we educate, inform, and help communities of color become more comfortable mm. getting vaccinated. Mm. Other area um, mm-hmm. that we're looking at as well. Um, so, so that's just that, you know, a couple of examples of how the last 50 months is, have kind of informed um, a focus on disaster recovery and resilience.
0: I think you're sharing that. I mean, obviously it's, you know, the with fires and pandemic, it's just been a lot this mm-hmm. year, but I, I think there's, hopefully going to be some silver linings when we really focus on this is going to happen again, whether, you know, in our state earthquakes or another mm-hmm. fires or, or whatnot. So that communication and trust part, I, you know, with the government level and other nonprofit level, but specifically how, uh, with businesses and, and people, how can they get involved to help or partner with you for that? Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of strength maybe on the business side is that communication piece, uh, whether they're trusted or not, that's a <laughs> up for debate. <laughs> but um, how, how can folks, you know, maybe help with that? Yeah. Or companies?
1: Great question. Um, we are working with um, businesses, particularly in the health sector, okay. right? Yeah, um, where we're having conversations. They, you know, um, Kaiser, Cambia, um, Pacific Source, right, have all been interested in how um, we might be able to communicate more effectively. about vaccine, um, especially um, to and with communities of color. Um, um, You know, other types of businesses um, can support the work through volunteerism, through donations. They can share this information within their workforces, right? Because um, you will have employees of color um, in the workforce. So I think there are lots of ways to do it. Um, And, you know, certainly anybody can send me an email. We're happy to. Mm To, to connect people um, to things like that, um, you know, the other area that um, that we are starting to investigate and actually have been for for at least twelve months now is housing stability. And I know that that's something that the business sector cares a lot about. Yeah, um, yeah. some of the issues that we're seeing around housing.
0: and so, you know, now that you've you know been on for a little bit, and bri- I can kind of get get specific with some questions you've been here fifteen months as you've mm-hmm. kind of got into the community and i am sure you've been you know, attending a lot of virtual events it's mm-hmm. <laughs> been meeting with a lot of people over zoom and you've kind of been doing this audit of just the community and the support and the challenges what's coming from uh you know honolulu what's mm-hmm. what's your kind of what's your thoughts where we're at I mean, as the metro area of the challenges and just you know i hate hate to say it you you know it, but it's Portland has not <laughs> if whether you know rightly or wrongly some of the reputation has had in the past twelve months it's been pretty you know not in the best light in some aspects, but there's people like you who are doing really great work, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that.
1: you know um, so I will. You know there were some bright spots in in Portland, um, and then there were some significant challenges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, I think one of the the bright spots. I know that there's uh, you know some unhappiness around maybe how it's being funded, but one of the bright spots is preschool, mm-hmm. right? All mm-hmm. the fact that that got passed. I think about. You know, in Hawaii, we have been we had been working for several years to get universal preschool to pass. It still has not passed there. Right. Um, There's so much research for many, many years around when you can provide a child with the right kind of early learning opportunities. It changes the trajectory of that child's life. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was really excited to see that pass. I think, you know, there are some in the community who are maybe not necessarily very pleased with the funding mechanism for that. Um, And, you know, I certainly can't, I can't speak to that, but I would say from an early learning perspective, um, you know, I think we need to think more about how we make high quality early learning experiences available to all children. Whether they can afford it or not, um, so that for me was a bright spot in in Portland, right? And I realize it's a it's a county measure and a county program, and I hope that over time we figure out how to scale it and sustain it across the state. Um, a place where we clearly have significant challenges is with the houseless problem. Um, it was and still is a very significant issue in Hawaii. The abs- Numbers are much larger here than Hawaii because the size of the population is very different. Um, But it is, you know, there are so many organizations and people in Oregon, particularly in the metro area, working very, very hard to address the issue. Right. And this is, you know, one place where I feel like it's not how much harder can you work, but how much smarter can we work? And it really the hardest thing to do, in my estimation, is to bring everybody together under a single plan, right? A single state plan, and then county plans, and then city plans. And, you know, that is a very, very difficult thing to do. I think that there are many people in the community, government, as well as in the business sector yeah. who are. To make that happen. So I think that's a bit of a bright spot as I think about, you know, am I inspired and hopeful moving forward? The answer is yes. Um, but it will really take pulling all of these resources together um, in order to have the houseless problem um be addressed in a very significant visible way that um that we all in our communities can acknowledge and see that it's making a difference, right? And I think the most recent um, uh, bill that was passed, which I think is like, I don't know, $2.7 billion over the next 10 years, a tremendous amount of money being directed at that issue. And, you know, I think speaks to um, accountability. Um, and, uh, a lot of work that needs to get done coming together.
0: Yeah. and, and The will is there. And I think our intentions are really well. And that's why mm-hmm. I have a, I have a hard time with these naysayers about Portland, whether the national media, because Portland, um, has always been very progressive and, and, wanting to do these things and coming to the table, what, you know, where that the progress is and then that, that will take time. And there's people like you that are out there doing the work. So thanks for sharing that. And, you know, a couple more questions oh. just personally for you, as you've been in Portland, mm-hmm. you know, you have lived in the Bay area, Hawaii, how's it been for you moving here and just, you know, personally and professionally, mm-hmm. it's just now a, a resident of <laughs> our area.
1: You know, I you know, I think about, you know, how different would it be if I were in Hawaii versus in Portland because I moved just in front of the pandemic. And and honestly, I don't, you know, I don't think I don't think it would be much different. Uh certainly the civil unrest is a little bit different and there are reasons, historical reasons for that, um, here in Portland. Um, I am enjoying um being here at this time because I feel like our organization has a responsibility to be a part of, you know, whatever solutions we want to be a part of in our communities here. Um, so that's number one. I love the change in seasons. And so <laughs> it's been um, a really nice move for me. And I, you know, I think about, you know, to the point that you made a little bit earlier, Dan, this com- the, the communities here, the business sector, the private sector, you um, general public, um, government agencies, we all care very deeply about where we are and our responsibility um, uh, to our neighbors and, and to the kids that live here. Right. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's certainly a lack of, of intention um, to make a difference over the next few years, um, but I really do think it's important that we all come together, that we do this in a very coordinated way. Um, in order to, uh, to get us to a better place. And I think, you know, especially as I think about, um, you know, how, how businesses, especially small businesses have been decimated yeah. for the last 12 months or so. Um, we really need to, um, focus on economic development. Um, because that, that does a lot for education. It does a lot for housing and it does a lot for, uh, for business and, and for the tax basis in Oregon. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm very optimistic of Portland and, you know, I grew up in the state. Um, a couple other questions. What do the people of Hawaii think of Oregon? <laughs> Because I, you know, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, I feel uh-huh. like we're kind you know, obviously kind of neighbors in a way. I, I think there's a lot I went to University <laughs> of Oregon, so we had a lot of people yes. from Hawaii come to Yuvo and vice uh-huh. versa. People from Oregon mm-hmm. go to Hawaii. So I'm just curious. What do people think when they meet people from Oregon? And
1: I you know, <laughs> I have to say when I lived in Hawaii, my perspective in of Oregon was very, very positive. And it's because of the the college connection. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have nieces and nephews who went to school in Oregon from Hawaii. They were actively recruited, right, by universities in Oregon. I know that that's a very, very strong connection. I know that um, uh, Pacific University does a luau every year, right, yeah. with the body and parents, and, and they have a lot of fun doing that. So I think the perception is very positive. And I think that positive perception has largely to do with the college connection. Yeah. The fact that um, families have that affinity with the schools here. It's
0: interesting, right? So, yeah, it is. Um, well, well, Cindy, thanks so much. Where can people find more about you, the uh, United Way up here to get involved? And in, um, any information you can share, I think would be great.
1: Well, they can certainly go to our website. If you uh, Google United Way of the Columbia Willamette, you'll hit our website. website. Um, I've got a bio on there. Um, anybody can email me, call me at any time. I'm happy to have a conversation. And as you might imagine, I've spent the last 12 months just really learning as much as I can. Um, about Portland and the four counties we serve. So I would welcome those conversations. And thank you so much, Dan. I've really appreciated this conversation. You
0: bet. One more question. (laughs) Sure. You know, (laughs) as someone I, prior to the pandemic, um, facilitated and hosted a lot of in-person events, I know for the nonprofit world, obviously, that was a big part of fundraising and just Mm -hmm. bringing people together. And so, you know, how has that been? I'm stepping into where you're, you might have like, hey, your team usually have a plan of all these events and things. Okay. So how has that you know, been? Have you shifted, made the shift pretty well? And what's your plan going forward, I guess, for those?
1: Um, we've definitely made a shift in terms of our meetings uh, in the community with other partners, with government agencies. I mean, and board meetings, right? Everybody has moved to 100% virtual. Yeah. Oh, it was, um, you know, I think a little bit of a, a challenge um, to start, but we, you know, we've always supported a uh, telecommuting policy at our, com- our our organization here. So everybody already had the tools. We all did Microsoft Teams and Zoom. Right. So that was not an issue. Um, it certainly became a challenge as we think about cultivating donors and donationships. Right. I remember distinctly, like we had a reception plan to introduce me to donors, and we actually postponed it, postponed it, and then finally canceled it. I realized that this was going to be longer than three months. Um, um, But I am looking forward to in-person meetings. We'll take it very slowly um, because I know that there's still, you know, some fear and some concern about COVID but there is just, you know, some things we won't change. We'll continue. I mean, we may continue to do the majority of our board meetings virtually. Mm-hmm. I think everybody saw the same thing we saw, which is um, more more people could participate because you weren't having to drive to different places. Right.
0: Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, So
1: it worked really well. Um, but I am looking forward to in-person meetings with donors and and maybe once a quarter with my board as well. So we'll, we'll do a combination of both.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Well, thanks again, Cindy.
1: Thank you very much, Dad. Have a good day.
0: The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.